Reach out. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. We are the body of Christ. You may have heard that the church are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the ones now who are the light of the world. A real relationship with the living God is a call to action. We're called to do things. We're called to make a difference in this world. We're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. You know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? A thermometer tells you what temperature it is. Too many Christians are thermometers. Well, this world is blah, blah, blah. What does a thermostat do? It changes the temperature. We're not called to notice how messed up the world is and whine about it. We're called to notice how messed up the world is and change a piece of it. Amen. Make a piece of it better. We're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. And so we are to reach out in the power of God and make some things happen. How many people think that the world is just fine the way it is? You know, God has a plan for making things better. And that's calling us to make a difference. That's his plan. His plan is to build a church that brings his love, brings his power, brings light into darkness. That's us. We're the ones who do that. It's not they need to get it right. It's we need to answer the call. That they, I remember years ago, years and years ago now, thinking they should. And then just, you know, the spirit in my heart said, who's this they you're talking about? Well, you know, the Christians and the, the, who they, don't you mean we? (laughs) Don't you mean you? I was like, yeah, this is me. This they that I'm complaining about all the things they're not doing, that's me. I need to answer the call. I need to step up. I need to be a person who is going to do what God has called all of us to do. So we answer the call. Now, God's plan is for his people to be agents of change in a broken world. I got a simple plan for you. So brothers and sisters, here's the plan. Quit breaking stuff and start fixing stuff. All right? Quit breaking stuff. Let's rise up. And start fixing stuff. Let's reach out. Don't break your family. Don't break your spouse. Don't break your workplace. Don't break stuff. Don't don't steal from a stranger or say some mean thing on Facebook and hurt people's feelings. Don't break stuff. Fix stuff. Bring some love into those situations. Be the person of character. Be the person who's going to do the right thing, even if it's the hard thing. Be that person. Don't break stuff. Fix stuff. I found motivation in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Now, I got saved in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. So this was just a few verses later. I got called to action because Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says this, and this is something I dislike dramatically. I'm opposed to this. And I believe it is our job not to submit to this, but to make it as as least true as possible. We must fight this. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So there's a broad road that Jesus describes as leading to destruction. And there's a narrow road that Jesus describes as leading to life. 
We are the carriers of the truth of God who bring the way to get on this road to a hurting and broken world because most people don't find it. Now, we're much more well-educated now than we were in Jesus' day as a society, as a world. We've got the internet. We've got access to incredible scholarship. The number of PhDs is increasing exponentially. How are we doing on this? I mean, back then, of course, they were all on the road to destruction because it was third world or the whole world. But now, you know, we're enlightened. It's post-enlightenment. It's post-industrial revolution. In fact, we're into the internet age. Like, now we're all catching on, so we're on the narrow road, right? Most people on the narrow road now? Oh, I don't think it's getting much better. You know, in fact, our society is drifting away from God in, in very profound ways. So there's more and more people on the broad road than there's ever been. In fact, when you look at the population growth, there are more people alive today on the broad road that leads to destruction than have ever been on that road in the history of the world. So do we have some work to do? Yes. I don't find this confusing. Some people say, well, Christianity is boring and irrelevant. Boring and irrelevant? We're taking people off the road to destruction, putting them on the road to life? That's not boring and irrelevant. That's special forces. That's Green Beret stuff. You know what I mean? They should make movies about that. I mean, this is big stuff. And I think it's, it's got two very important things about it that we should understand this road that leads to life. It's salvation, which is both everlasting life and abundant life now. These are the two fronts that we fight on. We want to bring people into everlasting life with God. Sins forgiven, brought into that place of loving God and having everlasting life because we trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. But we also strive for grabbing a hold of abundant life now because Jesus said he came to give life and life more abundantly, life to the full. The devil's the one who steals, kills, and destroys. Jesus brings life and life more abundantly. So it's not that we have to pick between a good life here or everlasting life. In fact, a life of following Christ is better. You know, we were poor. Me and Trinette and the little boys, you know, we put off surgeries. She had like a growth in her abdomen the size of a grapefruit. We're like, well, it'll sit. We don't have money for that. It sat for years. I mean, we, had, we were poor because we knew that'd be it. We can't pay that. But we've fought a fight. It hasn't always been easy. But I wouldn't trade this fight for a hollow life that's easier. Because when you start getting closer to thinking, oh, this is going to be over someday, And it didn't mean a darn thing. It leaves you hollow. But I tell you what, we get to fight a fight to both personally live out abundant life in its depth and its power and have everlasting life as well as bringing other people into that same thing. It's great. Do you know someone on the wide road stuck in a miserable or pointless life and headed towards a terrible eternity? Do you love someone on the wide road? Let's get done what we can get done. God's people are the agents of change in a broken world. Now, the last two weeks, we've been doing raise your hand to give your life to Christ or rededicate your life to Christ. It's happened in youth group too. 
So far, in the last two weeks, we've seen 49 hands go up. 49. That's not too bad. I think we're going to keep doing that. Because people need to be given an opportunity to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm in. Have a moment in time where they've made that decision. And it's amazing. We are the ones that call them in. Now, once you get everlasting life, once you're in that place of saying, yeah, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk with you. We've got what they call positional sanctification. It's very fancy. That means we get to go to heaven. But our life might still be pretty terrible. And we want to try to get to that place where our life now is, is good. Where we're a blessing and we're full of joy and peace. And we're making a difference for other people. We want to get to that place. So evangelism is how we call people into everlasting life. And then there's lots of different things, but ministries of love and compassion are ways that we can try to make this world better by packing meals at Feed My Starving Children or doing service projects through God's work, our hands. And then we can, these training things help us get into this life the narrow road. There's relationships, small groups and life groups where we, we build relationships and are able to grab hold of things. There's no reason for a believer to be alone. You got billions of brothers and sisters. Let's get to know some of them. Walk through life together. So there's a wide road and a narrow road. This shows we got work to do. Let's go to Matthew 20, verse 20, and read about James and John and their mother's request. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So what was she asking? <laughs> that her boys get to sit in thrones next to Jesus, one on the right, one on the left. That's just a little ask, right? This is probably one of the most understated phrases that Jesus ever said. You don't know what you're asking. <laughs> Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can. They didn't know what they were saying then either. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed. That's maybe one of the most chilling things he's ever said. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So remember, there's 12 disciples and two of them sneak over to Jesus with their mom. <laughs> the 10 hear what the other two of the 12 disciples, they're trying to sneak in in front of them. They're like, you guys are going to take the spots from us? What are you trying to do here, guys? Like, this is horrible. So they're mad. They're indignant. Indignant means they're really mad. Verse 25, Jesus called them together. So he has to call a staff meeting. Now, if you know the time that this is going on, we're getting real close to the cross. And Jesus has to call a staff meeting to straighten out the infighting he's got in the office. He's got the two overly aggressive, ambitious people that are trying to budge in line in front of the other 10. He's got to call a special staff meeting. What a hassle. Jesus called them together and said, I want us to notice what he said and what he didn't say. There's an important thing that Jesus didn't say. 
Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. So he's saying, you know, in the world, people push their way to the top. People lie and cheat and they fool people and they take advantage of people and that's how they get to the top. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus tells them the way to be great in the kingdom of God. The thing Jesus didn't say is, it's selfish of you to want to be great. You should just be humble and not want to be great. Jesus is like, oh, you want to be great? Fantastic. Let me show you how to do that. Because you're going about it the wrong way. Jesus wants us to be great in the kingdom of God. He wants us to be great servants of others. He wants us to be a great blessing to other people. He wants us to be great at bringing people from the wide road to the narrow road. He wants us to be great at shining the light of Christ into a dark world. He wants us to be great at that. He doesn't want us to be selfish and about our own needs. He wants us to be great servants. You are called to do great things for the kingdom of God. Maybe those things will be noticed and maybe they won't. There are more people who have done great things for the kingdom of God that have gone unnoticed than there are people who get to stand in front of the group and talk. There are millions of people who have done great things for the kingdom of God and no one ever knew. Maybe the great things you do will be noticed and maybe they won't. But you are called to be great. You are called to do great things for the kingdom of God. In fact, let's read John 14 verse 12. Jesus says this. Now this is in the middle of a big dialogue. I encourage you to read this in context in chapter 14. But let's just read this one verse. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. So he says, if you have faith in me, you'll do what I've been doing. What was Jesus doing on the earth? He was loving people. He was offering forgiveness to people. He was ministering healing and deliverance. And he was providing great miracles of provision and doing incredible things. He says, if you have faith in me, you'll do that stuff too. And he continues. He says, he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So the people of faith are going to do greater things than what Jesus did? Does that make sense? Well, I've heard this said this way. Well, we know we're going to do things in greater quantity. You know, Jesus fed the 5,000, right? Feed my starving children thing that just happened in Cloquet is 100,000. Now, that's more. And how many other places are they doing that? And that's just here. You know what I mean? I wonder what the organization does in a year. At the Bible school in Jamaica, the students at the Bible school don't have any money. There's Feed My Starving Children mana packs at the Bible school. I've seen them with my own eyes. That's what they eat. That's how they can get through school. This is making a difference all around the world. It's amazing stuff. Greater things we are called to do. So we'll do the things Jesus did. He loved people, even sinners. He had compassion on the hurting and the helpless. What happens when we're hurting? 
I know, one time I broke my arm. I dislocated and broke my elbow when I was in fifth grade playing football. I won't tell you the whole story, but it was awesome. <laughs> it was well worth it. But uh, someone came to check on me. You okay? Punched him right in the face. And then somebody else came to check on me and kicked him right in the stomach. And then no one came to check on me because my arm hurt. Don't nobody be touching me. You know what I mean? Like what happens when we get hurt? We ball up and we retreat and we put up walls and we try to get to a safe place. Now you might need to get safe from some people, but don't get safe from God. He's your rescuer. He's your helper. He's your healer. Open yourself up to him. Jesus loved people. He had compassion on the hurting and the helpless. He ministered healing and deliverance and provision. And he died as a ransom for all of us. Which of these can we do? We can do all of them but the last one. We can't die as a ransom. We can't die for the forgiveness of the world. Jesus died for us that we may live. And that we would do the things that he has done. Let's talk about some practical things that we're doing at Good Hope. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago that we talk about some of the details. As a church, there are things that we do. So, like I mentioned earlier about the New Vision Children's Home in Jamaica and the Child Sponsorship Program, it's really fun to be able to say that children's home is open today because of you, because of people who went on the trip and people who sponsored children. It would be closed and that would be that. We are doing things like now starting the farmer sponsorship program. We're sponsoring farmers now. This, I believe, has tremendous impact potential. So what's going on is the New Vision Children's Home has 30 acres of farmland, and they need about five of it for the home. And so that leaves about 20 plus acres. There's a stream and stuff that are actually farmable. And we've done the math. If they can get the farm running at full potential, they can pay all the farmers and make up for the child sponsorship program so that they can be economically independent and they won't need us anymore. So in order to do that, though, they're not going to take food out of the kids' mouths and pay farmers. I mean, right? Can't do that. So they got a part-time farmer, Mr. Brown, who does the, he does all the maintenance, he does all the groundskeeping, and he's supposed to be the farmer. We need three or four full-time farmers to get this to work. $300 a month pays the full-time wage. It's above minimum wage. It's a decent wage in Jamaica. $300 a month pays the whole wage for a farmer. The person who came up with this idea said, I'll sponsor the first one. And I bet you got some business people in church that want to see that happen. It's an 18 to 24 month commitment, you know, because by then there should be enough return to pay the farmers and the home. And then the sponsorship program will be something that brings great blessing and overflow and we can wean off of it. And they won't be dependent on us because that's when they're in a strong place. You know, like right now, what if, what if me and Michael Grant get in a big fight? And I go, oh, yeah, well, we're done helping you. Then they're in real trouble, right? Now we're not going to do that. He and I are both not that emotionally foolish. Unfortunately, a lot of ministries are destroyed by that kind of goofiness. And so they need to be strong on their own and not dependent on others. 
And that's God's plan anyway. And that can happen in Jamaica. And that can happen in other parts of the country, or I'm sorry, other parts of the world. And so we could then go to the next place that's a forgotten place and we could help them and build them up and get them strong on their own and then go to another place. We're creating jobs. We're, we're uh, putting places that hurting kids can go and be safe and learn the ways of God. We could do that in different places all around the world. What a fantastic template. I'm just a little excited about that. Now we started the uh, MinSOM, Minnesota School of Ministry, uh, because here's the deal. We tried to hire a youth pastor, and it took us so long, Daniel grew up. <laughs> now that sounds funny, but it's actually true. He was too young when we started looking, and here's the deal. No one will move north. They go to Bible school in the cities, they're staying. They ain't coming up here. Uh, maybe one or two will, but very few. So we got to grow our own. We got churches without pastors. We've got communities without churches. We need lots and lots of ministry people. So we're going to have to grow our own. We're going to have to develop leaders and develop pastors ourselves. Now, the Assemblies of God has a way to do that. It's Minnesota School of Ministry, and that's how we've gained all of our staff here at Good Hope. Daniel's in it now. Pastor Vicki, Pastor Celia, Pastor Larry, uh, Pastor Corey and Morgan Park, all of them have done this. They've all been brought up from the inside. Again, I'd hire from the outside if I could, but no one will come. I'm going to India in November, end of November. I'm going to go over there, hang out in Calcutta for a while and see Calcutta Mercy missions there. And that's going to be fantastic. That's where Mother Teresa was. And the youth group is, uh, is raising $10,000 to help Calcutta Mercy. It's going to be great. These are the sort of things that we can do. And then there's Morgan Park, their one-year anniversary. Pastor Corey's coming. We've got to grow our own through Minsum, but also we have to create support networks for these smaller communities and smaller churches because guess what? I was a small church pastor and it's hard. This is easy. People are like, oh, you must be so busy. I'm like, no, nah, I got people now. You know, I used to have to do everything. Shovel the parking lot with a shovel. So I'm like, well, that's 50 bucks for a missionary. I could just shovel it. So I'll shovel. You know, I did, I cleaned the church, did everything. I did the paperwork, which was terrible. We didn't have paperwork. I just knew, boy, if something bad happened, we'd just be in real trouble because I don't know how to do this and we're just going. You know, now I'm not even on the worship team hardly ever. And so we need the type of support I get here to happen in these smaller communities and smaller churches. And so how do we do that? We do that through a network of churches where people can serve inside of this network and the policies and procedures and bylaws and the church board and the budget and all of those things are already taken care of so these people can minister to their community instead of trying to figure stuff out they don't even know how to do. And we can do this through our campus model and a lot of pastors, not only do they have to do everything, but they also have a job. Because they got to pay the bills for themselves, and usually they're the biggest giver in the church. And so what if their second job was in the church, and they were the maintenance guy for all the different locations, and they were the pastor of one of them? Wouldn't that be great? Then they could go to training events, and they wouldn't have to take vacation time. Oh, I think that could make a difference in the Northland, because who's going to reach the Northland? People won't even come to a church of 450 and be the youth pastor, let alone go to Aurora that's offering $1,100 a month for the senior pastor and you need to get a job. Who's going to do that? We've got to create systems that help this work. And that is this campus model. And my dream is to have six or eight and have it 
flourishing, and then have a bunch of other people copy us. And rural America is reached. So there's stuff we do with church. There's stuff we do through individuals that attend the church and through partnerships with other organizations. Feed My Starving Children is not a Good Hope thing, but it's something that was in the heart of someone who attends Good Hope, and we encouraged it, and it happened. I didn't do it. I said, yeah, tell you what, I'll bring it to the ministerial association meeting. You can pitch it to everybody. And so that's what happened. A bunch of churches grabbed on, and boom, it happened. Hallelujah. I didn't come up with the idea. We just fostered what somebody was called to do and didn't shut them down, but said, well, let's dream about that. How's that going to happen? And it all came to pass. There's, you know, God's work, our hands, which is primarily a Lutheran and Catholic thing, and they'll let us participate with them and we can build community with them. And we can show the outside world that we're all willing to work together. We got some differences, but we got the same cross. We got to work together. Show the outside world what's going on. That's something that's a partnership. It's things like Young Life. We've got people that attend the church that volunteer at Young Life and are doing great things in the lives of hurting kids. We've got empty tummies. I heard, what, 900 box tops were collected this summer to help feed kids in elementary school that didn't get breakfast and are trying to have a school day, but they can't concentrate. So this allows the teachers to be able to have snacks for kids. And it's not my idea. Somebody else came up with it. We let them put a box up, you know, but, you know, bring some, bring some box tops, throw them in the box. And now Super One's jumping in and, and uh, donating $50 a month worth of supplies you know, these things are starting to grow, but it's just, it's just working together and it's people in the congregation just doing stuff. We partner with the Wood City Music Festival, Wood City Worship Nights, all kinds of other things. The things that you're called to do that aren't necessarily the church doing it, but guess what? You can do your thing that God's calling you to do. And if there's networking that can help you through the church, then let's work together and see it happen. Jesus said that If people have faith in him, they'll do what he did. We're supposed to do the stuff Jesus did. You know, people, what would Jesus do? That sort of stuff. Jesus even said that you'll do greater things than these. I want to reread Matthew 20, 26 through 28, when Jesus is having his staff meeting where two of the disciples that would become apostles were uh, getting a little too ambitious and trying to budge in front of others in the line. And again, this is what he says. So rather than lording it over, rather than being the bully who gets their way, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, and again, he encourages us to be great, but the right kind of great. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, as a ransom for many. We're to do what Jesus did. Now He did some great miracles. He taught some amazing things. But the main thing that he did was he gave his life as a ransom. We can figuratively give our lives in that we give our lives to serve. We become servants of our God. And he calls us to be servants of people. To love people, to encourage people, to help people, to teach people, to admonish sometimes, to correct, but he calls us to serve. I don't believe that there are any stagnant Christians. I believe there are Christians who are growing 
and Christians who are digressing. But I don't think there's any that are stagnant. You're either getting stronger or you're getting weaker. You're either making progress or you're falling back. You know, we've got a limited amount of time. We've got a limited amount of time to get the job done. And we've got obstacles in our way. We've got an enemy of our souls that wants to take people out. We've got an unbelieving world that's hostile to the cross and what it stands for. And Jesus is coming back. We've got an important calling from God. We've only got so much time and we've got opposition. So we've got to grab hold of the Lord and we've got to grow and get stronger and we've got to shine the light when we can. You know, Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He only expects you to take today's step today. He doesn't expect you to grow five years worth in one day. Grow a day's worth. And then tomorrow, keep it up. And all of a sudden, year two, you, you've gotten somewhere. And then let's look and see what he's asking us to do. Let's have the courage to step out and do it.